Good morning, church. How are we all doing this morning? Is it good to be in the house of the Lord? I heard 10 a.m. is where it's at. Is that right? 10 a.m. is where you guys are lively. You get all your beauty sleep. There is no Botox needed in the 10 a.m. because you guys have Sunday beauty sleep. Is that right? Come on, come on, it's so good. You know, before we sit down and before we open in prayer quickly, I just wanna share with you, we have a power weekend coming, a powerful weekend, and you do not wanna miss out. It is our Easter weekend next week. We've got Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and I wanna encourage you, the best gift you can give somebody this week is actually an invitation, an invitation. You know, the Romans actually tells us, if you're ever gonna boast, boast on the cross. And so this weekend, we're gonna boast about the cross. We're gonna boast about Jesus. But your part is to invite somebody this coming week. Look, we are, tickets are going fast. And so we're encouraging people to book their seats so that we can make sure we've got space for everybody. Um, we are already full in the 8.30 and the 10 a.m. service for next week, but we still have space in the 11.30 and the 6 p.m. So I encourage you guys, why don't you invite somebody to church next week? Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that we can be here today. Lord, I pray, Father God, whatever week we've had, Lord, I pray that we're able to remove the thoughts and the emotions and all the stuff that's attached to that. And I pray that we're fully present this morning, Father God that your word as it's spoken, Father God, will not return void, but that it'll start to transform our hearts. And so Lord, that we can bring you more glory and we can honor you. We thank you for this pre the presence of your Holy Spirit where two or more gathered, your presence is here. And so we welcome you this morning and ask you to do what only you can do. And all God's people said, amen. Why don't you take your seats? While you're taking your seats, say good morning to somebody. Come on, we guys, today is Palm Sunday. Um, how many of you know what Palm Sunday actually represents? Because um, I'd like to call you up just to come and tell us if that's all right. Um, no, I'm joking. We wouldn't do that to you. Maybe we would, but maybe not today. But guys, Palm Sunday is a significant day in the history of the church. It's the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on the last Sunday before he is crucified. And it represents a lot of lessons and powerful teachings that we're gonna learn uh, today whilst we do that. But the title of this morning's message is From Palms to a Thorn Crown. And so uh, we're gonna discuss a bit of how when Jesus was who they wanted him to be, they waved palms. But when he was who they needed him to be, they stuck a thorn crown on his head. And so that's one way to start a sermon. Everybody in the room just went, oof. But before we do that, I actually wanna invite you guys because celebration, Palm Sunday re represents celebration. So we did this in the 8.30 service. I reckon you guys are gonna be way better. Some of you in the moment, when I do this, you're gonna feel super uncomfortable. I just wanna prepare you right now. And some of you are actually gonna laugh and enjoy and go with it. But I think what best way <laughs> to celebrate Palm Sunday, but with a Mexican wave. Come on, who's up for a Mexican wave? Come on, we're gonna do this. Can you participate in the sermon today? Maybe I won't call you, but just the one time I'm gonna ask you to participate. So we're gonna start on our left-hand side and we're gonna do a Mexican wave, then we're gonna go to the middle and we're gonna go to the right. Can we do that? Church, are we on board? Are we on board? Are you ready? On the count of three, I'm gonna count to three and then I'm gonna judge which section actually participated the most. One, two, three, come on! Woo! 
Come on, he's a good. Come on, let's give Jesus praise. Palm Sunday would have represented something very similar where everyone was crying out to Jesus and worshiping Him. And so this morning, we're gonna be reading out of Mark chapter 11, verses one to 10. If you wanna follow with me, uh, you can open your Bibles there. If you don't have your Bibles, I'll give you a second to go home and fetch them quickly and bring them back. And you guys, now I'm joking. It'll be on the screen and you can follow with us. And so from Mark chapter 11, verses one says this, as they approached Jerusalem, and came to Bethage, at Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go into the village ahead of you, and, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden before. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Just say the Lord needs it and he'll send it back shortly. Then, he went and found a, then they went and found a colt outside the street, tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing in asked, what are you doing there, untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it. He sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks uh, on the ground as he was walking with it. And while they spread their cloaks, they were waving branches. Palm branches represented um, freedom to the Israelites. Actually, you know, when Judea took uh, Rome back, this uh, Jerusalem's back from Rome, they actually on the back of their silver coin was a palm tree to represent freedom. And so they would, they would, uh, they would wave their palm trees and their cloaks would be put on the ground. And while they spread these branches and these cut off trees from the field, those who went ahead of him and those who followed him uh, screamed out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming King of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Some people actually believe that the word Hosanna means highest praise. But I wanna actually, the, the, the correct theological term for it is actually save us. It's a state of desperation. There is nobody else, only you, save us. And so the praise would go out. This verse was written in Psalms 118. It was a prophecy told that this is what would happen when Jesus entered the, uh, Jerusalem for the last Sunday. And so the sun is rising rapidly on this particular day. And as the light shoots its darts right across the sky, as the curtain of the dawn starts to rise on the most historical day of Jerusalem, a day that was prophesied by Daniel 170,880 days to be exact. This, there was no, this day was exact. 483 years before this, Daniel has prophesied this day is coming. And so some people even say to me, but then Jesus knew it was coming. Let me ask you, what did you do 483 years ago? <laughs> Can you remember? What did South Africa look like 483? You can't even remember that. So these prophecies were so vast, but told of the coming King. This is the festive season of Passover. Passover, otherwise known by the Jews as Pesach, 
Pesach, which celebrated the, the, the freeing, freeing of people from Egypt. And this is the reason why they're waving palm branches is because it represents freedom. It was a festival, a celebration of the time that God had freedom. The old city was filled with pilgrims and visitors and travelers who came from many countries and from far and wide. Secular census, actually the historical secular census actually indicates that at this particular time, there's about 2.5 million people in the city of Jerusalem. That's a lot of people. So whilst that's a lot of people, I don't think the city itself could have contained it. People would have been spread all around the actual city. There would have been campsites and an exciting rumor has started to, to occur. Jesus, the Christ, is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Behind him were his sermons, but ahead of him was now his suffering. Behind him were his parables, but ahead of him was the Passion Week. Behind Jesus was the, the suppers with fellowship. Ahead of him was the supper of betrayal. Behind him would have been those exciting moments and delights of Galilee. Ahead of him was the dark day of Gethsemane. This is the day that prophecy became practice. It's a significant day in the Christian calendar. Daniel 2 actually prophesied, as I mentioned, to the exact time. So time was fulfilling the prophecy. Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy too because it actually says in Zechariah 9 verse 9 that Jesus, the king, would be coming riding lowly on a donkey. The people were fulfilling a prophecy because Psalms 118 says that they would be screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus had just spent some time with his buddies. He had some friends just out of the city in Bethany. Bethany was um, opposite side of the Mount of Olives. And it was about eight kilometers to the actual city. And so Jesus is on his way, this eight kilometer jersey, on his way to the city. But whilst on his way, a celebration breaks out. This wasn't as Jesus walking through the actual city. This was him approaching the city from an eight kilometer distance. A celebration would break out all the way towards Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you, I love camping. How many campers in the house here this morning? Come on, we love campers. All four of you, bless you. You guys, all of you need to learn how to start camping, please. Um, but camping's amazing. Like at December time, we go every year to the same campsite in Jamaica and the Cedarburg. I love the Cedarburg. It's like, it's like our second home. And I just love that every time we arrive at the Cedarburg, there's that day when everyone's arriving. It's like caravans are pulling in and people are pulling in with their tents. Um, you get the guy, I don't know what type of camper you are, but you get the guy that arrives and it says to his wife, he thinks he's done his job, puts his chair out and cracks open a... a a beverage that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he, he's like, before I get started. Or you get the guy that gets in, he's like, I'm gonna get stuck in. And then everyone's putting up these canvas tents. Or, and there's an excitement. Kids are running around. They're starting to, you know, before the, you even just park the car, the kids are like, where are my water wings? They were like one years old. I need to get to the swimming hole. Anybody ever been in there? There's so much excitement around that. And um, what's so interesting about campsites is that when you go to the same campsite regularly, you actually learn uh, to, to, about the growth of the, the kids. So you, you remember 10 years ago, they were like tiny babies. 
It's because you see them in 12 months intervals. <laughs> They're like, boom, boom. Like the last time you saw, like four years ago, they were holding hands with your kids, playing through the reeds, catching frogs, Sarah and Jonathan catching frogs. Four years later, they're holding hands and dad's like, hey, hey. <laughs> Campsites are amazing. And I believe this is the picture that's happening here, that they would have started to camp around the city. History tells us that traditionally persons from various regions all had a special area, a special campsite around Jerusalem where they would camp for these days. And there was the first group of people, the south end of the Mount of Olives had for years been the camping ground for who was known as the Galileans. These were the unsophisticated, unspoilt people of the area that Jesus spent most of his time with. He performed most of his miracles and they knew him best. These were Jesus' people. Actually, it actually says in John chapter six, verses 14, if they could bring it up, they try to make him a king a few times, several times actually. But this one says, after the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say Surely this is the prophet who comes in the world, in, 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 into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew and went to the mountains. We also see in Mark chapter 12, verse 37, it says that these were the common people who heard the word of Jesus gladly. The Galileans were the common people with whom he was popular. But there was a second group of people in Jerusalem at this particular time. There were the hypocrites and those that were curious followers. In Jerusalem, there were the wealthy, superficial leaders. We know those guys, they're very popular if you read anything about the Bible. But Jesus had antagonized them by telling them they're hypocrites. Anybody love it when somebody tells you you're a hypocrite? It's like, hey, hey. Matthew 23, verses 13. I wish I could read the whole chapter, but we don't have time unless you guys are happy for a four-hour service, but, which I know most of you are. Hey, amen for a four-hour service. And we got like, you guys, I'll get, you guys can leave, we'll just. But it says in Matthew 23, verse 13, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you are hypocrites. Jesus calls them out for who they are. You see, if I could summarize chapter 23, it would actually be this message. Practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. You see, they were reading the Word of God and giving everybody the Word of God, but they weren't living it out in their lifestyles. Now, sometimes I think the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you know, sometimes we can look at them, but we've got to be honest with ourselves this morning. How many times do we read the Word of God, know what He intends, we know that we need to, but we don't practice it with our lifestyles. Jesus calls them hypocrites. Matthew 23, verse 3, He says to the people who are listening to Him, so you must be careful to do, do everything they tell you because they're reading from the Word, but don't do what they do for they are. Don't practice what they preach. You see, amongst them was also the Sudacies. The Sudacies are my favorite. They were long plotting Jesus' downfall. In order to preserve their wealth and their lifestyle, they had consorted with the conquering Romans, which had compromised their faith. So once following God, but realizing that there was a bit of wealth when the Romans said, just appease the people with religion, they were happy to follow that. These man-pleasing priests and scribes plotted his downfall. You see, the poor Galileans had nothing to lose. But the city dwellers who do anything to appease the Romans in order to conquer, to continue their prosper, to them, it was all about economy. It wasn't about the Messiah. 
Some of us can ask ourselves the question, is all of our lives more about the economy than it is about the Messiah? Besides, in the religious eyes, he threatened their traditions. And so they want to take Jesus down. Look, I'm going to give you three quick points today, even in the sermon. And the points are going to have two examples. So those of you that are taking notes, if you want, I'm just trying to structure this for you. And those online, just three, point, three points, and each point has two examples in them. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to start with the first point this morning by reading a scripture from Mark chapter 11, verses 9. And it says this, just pay close attention. It says, those who went ahead... Everyone say, those who went ahead. And those who followed shouted. You don't have to repeat the rest. (laughs) Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, the first lesson was a lesson from the people that we learn here, is that my first point is partial revelation versus full revelation. There were two groups. Those who went ahead of him were the persons who had come out of Jerusalem because of curiosity. They had heard. Had anyone watched Aladdin with Will Smith? It's probably a touchy subject right now. Hey? Like, but when he's dancing and doing the whole king and they're doing that whole thing, this is how they would be coming in. And because of the noise and the banging and the shouting, people were curious. They came out of the city because they wanted to know what is going on. And so there were the curious followers, but then there were also the contagious followers. There were the Galileans who knew him, that were praising him. And you see, the one was praising him because they knew about him. The other ones were praising him because they knew who he was. And so from a distance, sometimes we can merge these two people together and say that the same people that cried Hosanna were the same people that cried crucify him later, a few days later. But there were difference because the Galileans, he knew them, he loved them, they were his people. It was the, it was the, the, the people from Jerusalem itself that actually would have cried out crucify him. There were two types of people that looked the same even had the same background, even understood God the same, but they had different actions. Matthew 21 verses 10 to 11 says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and people asked, who is this? And the crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. It was the jubilant Galileans who screamed Hosanna and the aristocratic, superficial, religious integrates of Jerusalem who wanted to shout, crucify him a few days later. Sometimes they look the same, but they're not. Our actions determine the difference. With which crowd does your lifestyle suggest you fall in? It's a bitter pill to swallow, but it's one that I ask. Because sometimes we can get so focused on knowing who God is rather than knowing about God. I'm sorry, knowing about God rather than knowing who He actually is in relationship with Him. So my question is, how much do you know about Jesus versus how much do you know Him? You see, there's a difference between a partial relationship and a full relationship. If I said to you, I'm gonna have a partial relationship with my wife, most of you would be able to determine the outcome of that relationship. But if I told you I've got a full relationship with my wife, you would also be able to determine the outcome of that relationship. The relationship with Jesus needs to be a full, relationship, a revelation of him, not just a partial revelation. Matthew chapter 7 verse 22 says that one day in the last days, people come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy? Did I not cast out demons in your name? He's going to go, I didn't know you. 
away from me. That word know is an intimate meaning. He wants to know you intimately. The second lesson is from the leaders. Title versus influence. There are two examples of leaders here. Matthew 23 verse five to seven says, everything they do is done for the people to see. They make their, their flak, I can never get that word, guys. Flakra trees, <laughs> I don't even, wide and their tassels on the garments long. They wore clothing of honor, okay? They love the place of honor and banquets and most of them have the important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and be called rabbi. You see, they were so focused on their title. But this is what Jesus says we should be. Matthew 23 verses 11 to 12 says, the greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who are humble will be exalted. John Maxwell actually says this in one of his podcasts. He says, why the way you, sorry, why you lead and the way you lead are important because they define you. They define your leadership and ultimately your contribution. The heart of a leader is servant leadership. It is to serve the people. Rather than epitomizing um, humility uh, and influence to meet the people where they are, they focus on power and title. Do you know what the problem with most companies today is because we build everything on autocracy. We go, I climb the ladder and when I climb the ladder, I'm above you. But Jesus doesn't do it that way. He climbs the ladder and then he gets you to his point. And then he climbs the ladder and he gets you to his point. It's servant leadership that gets us there, not power and authority. And the problem with these religious leaders is that their leadership was so focused on power and authority. True servant leaderships are humble and they allow their behavior to communicate their values. Rather than saying, I live by this value, I, I worked for many corporate companies who put the values up on the wall. And you, you probably can relate, you probably at your company got values up on your wall. And then you see the manager kicking his desk over and you're going, got you. <laughs> hey, how many of us live out our values rather than just paste them up? We know what we need to do, but we need to live a lifestyle that does. Servant leaders, leaders are also vigilant in promoting at the right attitudes so that they can serve the people to success. And so here's my key thing is that Jesus came in on a donkey. This is significant. It says that Jesus told his disciples to go and fetch a donkey. When they brought the donkey back, he sat in a donkey. Do you know the significance of this? In Deuteronomy chapter 17, God gives the laws to the kings. He tells the people of Israel, if you are gonna put a king, make sure that I choose him. Jesus was God's chosen king. And then he says, don't collect for yourself many horses, which David and Solomon didn't do really well. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want them to get caught up on all of their stuff. Alex Ferguson, David Beckham writes a story where he says that Alex Ferguson wouldn't allow the Man United team to actually buy supercars. We probably wonder why Man United won the treble and did very well back then. You know why? Because he didn't want them to be focused on themselves. He wanted them to be focused on the team. The problem is that God wanted him to be focused on them and that when, when things were achieved, he'd get the glory for it. Not you come riding in. And so what the horse, the kings would do in those days is that they would come riding in on the highest war horse. How they measured the horse was by hands. And so they'd go, which one is the highest horse? That's the king's horse. And so he would come riding in. Why? Because we would honor the king, honor the king. And everything was about title. But here's the story 
story is that Jesus doesn't come riding in on just any donkey. Listen to this from Zechariah. The first task that Jesus did to display himself as king and the Messiah is to ride a freaking donkey, guys. Like it's huge, listen to this. Rejoice greatly, daughters of Zion. Shout, daughters of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. He wasn't just riding on the donkey, he was riding the baby donkey. And the, and the traditions actually say that if you've ever tried to ride a baby donkey, you've probably got a broken nose. Because they, they don't have any direction, they're wild. So what they would have had to do is actually move the mother with the donkey, the baby donkey. Just picture this for a second. Jesus came low riding. He came on a lower donkey. He, 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 the donkey would have maybe even, and this isn't disrespect to anything, but it would have looked ridiculous. His feet would have probably been dragging on the ground. Why did he choose to not go on a horse, a war horse, or a normal horse, or the mother, or the foal? You know why? Because he wanted the, everyone to know that there is only one God, and he gets honored, and he gets the king. Not my will be done, but his will be done. He displays authority in a humble way that influences us to look at this and go, he didn't come by his titles and his accolades. He came because he was giving God the glory. Could I have the worship team up, please? He was an appointed king by God who sought to bring God glory. He was a true servant, a true king. Think about the leaders of our days. How many of the leaders of our days are more focused on serving the people. Maybe it's power and arrogance that actually gets us into wars. Because we all want to title an authoritative voice. We all want to have the biggest amount of money, the biggest war. We all want to measure up on everything that is only measured by this world. But how many of us actually would love to see a king that just served the people? Hey, Imagine the focus was just serving and the reason Jesus comes riding in the donkey is because he wants you to know he's come to serve the people. He's the true picture of a king. He's a servant leader. He's not the leader that comes in on authority. And so if we're ever looking for an example on how to be a servant leader, Jesus is our example. And this is my closing question on this point. How would your team, your family, or anyone around you describe your leadership? Do we get caught up on our, our, our education? Do we get caught up? And look, those things are all good, guys. I'm not saying that those aren't good. Like you need to achieve. But it's the priority in which you achieve. Is God getting the glory through your growth? Or is your growing moving you further away from God? And we've got to be realistic about it because true leaders are servant leaders. The third lesson is our hearts. And so my third point is this. There's a difference between our wants and our needs. The difference between needs versus wants is that needs and wants are two words that are frequently used in the same sentences. People think that there isn't a difference between needs and wants. But have you ever wondered what the difference is between needs and wants? That space between needs and wants, do you know what that space is? It's your choice. It's your choice. 
it's your heart. And so do we choose to want things from Jesus or do we choose to need Jesus? Because here's the biggest thing, is when Jesus was who they wanted Him to be, the King who was gonna come in a political force and we were waving the palms, when He was who they wanted Him to be on this earth, they waved the palms. But when He was who they needed Him to be, they stuck nails in His palms. Some of us get confused between our wants and our needs. And I wanna remind you, if anything, your need for Jesus should always trump our want from Jesus. You know, I just wanted to, um, just use an analogy quickly. I used it in the first service and I missed out half the sermon, but anyway, I'm gonna do it now again. Sorry, online. <laughs> Um, about a year ago, we were living in a house and uh, it was during lockdown time and it was weird. We all know that weird time. And so I'm busy with work and my son's playing with his, his little polystyrene airplane that we had got from Crazy Store. You know, those ones that you build and you throw them with a the wind. And so he's having a lot of fun outside. Um, this was before the hard lockdown. <laughs> you know, in case you think I let my kids hang around. But so, so the plane goes on the roof. It comes, Dad, the plane's on the roof. You know, like kids, just drop what you're doing now and go fetch my planes, kind of what he's saying. Like the planes in the roof. So I said, my boy, that's cool. I'm gonna help you get it down. But if you could just wait a few moments uh, because I'm just busy with work. So he said, no, 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 I need to do it now. I wanna play. So he kept every two seconds, you know, kids, they won't let you down. The planes on the roof, the planes on the roof. I'm like, Dad, just give me a moment. I'm trying to get through what I'm doing and I'll come give you a hand. It wasn't long until I heard this really desperate cry, this cry of fear. Like I could hear there's a different tone in his voice now. You know that tone when you know your child's in trouble. And so you know what I did is I got outside. And you know what he did? He wanted that plane so much he was prepared to climb on the roof to go and get that plane himself. He didn't wait for his father. He did it himself. And in that process, you know what happened? He developed so much fear because he didn't know how to get back down. And he was crying and he was freaking out. And you know, when you start to shake, the first thing a father goes, just calm down. It's gonna be okay. We're gonna get through this. And he'd say, but I don't know how to go. I don't know, I'm just, hold on. You're too heavy for me to climb up and take you down right now. So I'm gonna guide you through this. Put your foot there. But dad, there isn't another one for my note. Don't worry, here's my hand. Put your foot on my hand. And I guided him down. Some of us in our lives are doing it without God. We don't have the patience so we climb the roof and get it ourselves and get ourselves into trouble. But I wanna let you know, your father still loves you. He's not gonna come there and go, you got there yourself, get yourself down. I'm not gonna help you. God's never gonna do that to you. He's always gonna be there. But I want you to understand that Jesus was never more blessed than when he was on the cross than he was when he was off the cross. Jesus was blessed the same. You are blessed the same. And some of us are wanting God to take us out of our situations when God wants to take you through your situation. He will give you the strength to get through your situation. But it, you know what the big determining factor is? Is do you want it from God or do you just need God? You see, in that situation, my son needed me. You know the first thing that Jesus did after the king? He went into the temple and he kicked over the, the, the traders. He kicked them out. 
of his father's house. He said, this is my father's house, a place of worship. And he kicks, the very first act he does when he goes into Jerusalem in Passion Week, kicks over the tables, gets them out, and he's disgusted by it. I wanna let you know that this is what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we get offended when Jesus is walking in and kicking stuff out. We think, God, you're offending. You're taking away my pleasures, my comfort. And God says, no, I just need you to know who your source is. Because if you know your source, you'll know your service. You see, it's getting the source right will determine the service. But most of us wanna serve without the source. He loves you, He cares for you. But the decision that we've gotta make is how much do you want things from God? This is how much do you need Him? The Galileans realized they needed Him. Why? Because He was gonna pay for their sins. Because He had preached to them. The rest of the Jerusalem people, do you know what they wanted? They wanted their things. And if He wasn't gonna achieve it, they were gonna crucify Him. So in summary, have you got a full revelation of who Jesus is? Or do you have a partial revelation? In your leadership style, when you understand the source, you'll understand how to serve in an influential way.